Hey, what is up, everybody? Welcome to the Whiskey Sessions podcast. This is episode 87, and you are listening to A Matt's B Pimp. How's it going with you? It's going great. Drinking some river trip from Allagash and excited to talk about sports. Ooh, good old Allagash. Not a Chicagoland brewery, but all the same, I have a lot more difficulty finding it out here than I did there. I miss Allagash White. Yeah, it's good stuff. This is River Trip, which is also quite tasty. And then joining us for the second episode in a row, we had to have him back, J-Rock. How's it going with you? Oh, it's fantastic, guys. Thanks for having me again. I'm drinking uh, Alter Centerline, my all-time favorite brewery right here in Downers Grove, Illinois. Shout wow. out. I have, Ooh, local. I don't think yeah. I ever had it. They, uh, I don't even know what to say. It's my favorite place. It's my favorite place to go. It's my favorite beer. I miss them dearly. I hope they miss me too. I'm sure looking they forward do. to go back. <laughs> I'd like to go when when we can go back to these places. I want to go with you. Please. Yeah, I want to go there, make a trip there, make a quick trip to Talia Hall, uh, stop at Brower House on the way back. Mm-hmm. We got a busy schedule next time we're around. I know. That probably doesn't even count the amount of time I'll have to be quarantined or something if I go there. <laughs> okay we are talking this episode about all-time sports moments to each one of us i should say we're not talking about you know Derek jeter's last game as a yankee because who gives a shit no we're one not, we're not talking about the immaculate reception we're not talking about the miracle on ice no, no. from our memory and things that mean the most to us so i'm sure there'll be some homer picks in there but yeah, we're talking about our, our greatest sports moment. Because really, is there anything else that when your team wins the championship or some great play happens and you have that camaraderie of the people around you who are just so excited about that thing happening? I mean, is there anything better? No, great. there It'll- really is not. If you're not a New England fan, you have to wait a long time mm-hmm. for your team to do something as special as that. Yeah. But before we get into that, Ryan, remind the listeners at home why you even like the Kansas City Chiefs. <laughs> so I grew up watching them. My dad grew up there. My uncle's still down there. And I have a lot of fond memories of watching the Kansas City Chiefs with my family. One specifically, I'll never forget, it was Christmas time. And we're at my grandpa's house and the Chiefs are playing and my uncle's sitting next to me. And he's like, I bet you this is what happens on the next play. You know, I bet you they complete a pass for... 15 yards and it happened. I'm like, Whoa, that's crazy. And he's like, well, I don't think they're going to finish here. I think they're going to kick the field goal. And then and that happened. I'm like, this is insane. And my grandpa walks in the room. He's like, why are you watching last week's game? <laughs> uh, and you know, he bought me jerseys after that. He bought me a priest home Jersey. And ever since I've just been following along for the best and the worst of it. I mean, but you've certainly got the best of it now. Oh, it's, it's a dream. It's so unreal uh, what we were able to accomplish last year. And moving forward, I think it's, I think you have the next NFL dynasty. I think you're about to witness the next NFL dynasty. I, if it holds together, I would not disagree with that at all. Patrick Mahomes is awesome. He's a young cat too. I think he's 23, 24. Um, His two seasons in the NFL so far have been MVP and Super Bowl victory. Super Bowl MVP. So clearly he doesn't suck. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm very excited. 
I wish as much as I like Russell Wilson, I wish he became a little more like that. He never like quite did. Mm-hmm. I love Russell though. He's, he's great. Got, he's got tenacity. Unlike a lot of quarterbacks out there. He's fun to watch. Probably one of my top five quarterbacks in the league, to be honest with you. I think that's fair. He's um, him, Trubisky, Mahomes. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, <laughs> excuse me, all the yeah, Mitch Trubisky, clearly the best. But speaking of Trubisky, we wanted to talk about like the heartbreaking moments of sports too. Uh, and I, I have one that I still haunts me. Um, and for me, the, the biggest heartbreaking moment I've ever had in sports was in 1994 NBA playoffs. The Seattle Supersonics were the number one seed. It was after Jordan's first retirement. And there's no reason the Sonics, they had the best record in the league. There's no reason they shouldn't have won the championship that year. And what did they do as soon as the playoffs start is they are the first number one seed to lose to an eight seed, the Denver Nuggets, uh, in what at the time were five-game series. And the moment that encapsulates it as just horrifying is Dikembe Mutombo, center of the Nuggets, um, on the floor clutching the basketball like this in such disbelief that his team won. I felt the same way. I think it's the only time I've cried over sports. Takembe Mutombo, man. He he just you couldn't you couldn't deal with him. No. The Sonics won the first two games too, and then lost the next three. That was also oh. like the Bryant Stith, uh Mahmoud Abdullah Raouf, like that era of the Nuggets. Yeah, Raouf. Uh I believe Man, I forget who they're I think they had Robert Pack, perhaps. Yeah. That's um similar to in a way first round of the playoffs what my moment is which is in 2012 when the bulls were up by 12 over the 76ers in the clinching game of the opening round a minute and 22 left to play and derrick rose tears his acl Mm. and that led to a bunch in a row of knee injuries rehabs coming back knee injuries rehabs coming back and never really got back to where he was and now the happy ending for him is like he's made kind of another career for himself as like a scoring point guard for some like not as great teams, but he, I mean, he's getting paid, he's playing, he's still effective. So that's good. But I mean, mm-hmm. there was so much promise when he, with that team and it was just so depressing the way that season ended. He was so explosive of a player. Yeah. He was so yeah. much fun to watch. And, and he still is to a certain extent. Um, my devastating moment, you know, I obviously a Kansas City fan, but living in Chicago, I have a soft spot for the Bears too. Um, the double doink just a couple of years ago well, that was, was, was brutal. Uh, it's still so prominent in sports media today too. I see it all the time on Twitter's people having to remind me about the double doink. Devastating because they had a lot of promise that year. There was – some people who were like, wow, Trubisky could actually be something. And uh, the double doink happened, and it's been just a travesty ever since. The best, the best part about that terrible season ending was Lisa and I were on the way home from something, and her, he had missed – Cody Parkey had missed a kick earlier, 
in the season. I think it was the Giants they were playing, and they lost in overtime or something. And there was a guy that called into the score right after that game and was like, got to make those kicks, bro. And it's just like the <laughs> quote that Lisa – Lisa doesn't care about sports, and she still brings that up all the time, just like, got to make them kicks, bro. And then when we were watching the playoffs, I was standing – at the end of the game, like he's going to make it because there's no way he would miss this many. He's going to make it. And then bam, double doink. <laughs> I remember staring at the TV. Like that did, that, did that really just happen? You, I don't even want to get into it. Kickers have a hard job. How I know long they do. Kick was it 43 yards? Okay. 43 yards. But I mean, he had missed. How many that game, Brian? I mean, he had missed 11 that season, and that game alone, I think he had missed three. Yeah. It was just like one of those law of averages things where you think, like, it can't possibly happen again, and then it does. Mm-hmm. I think that is not to get, like, too outside of what we're talking about, but that's, like, a fundamental flaw with football as a sport in general. Like, that it keeps coming down to the guy who plays – literally like 15 game seconds is yeah. a problem it's yeah. like worse it's worse and more common than like a basketball game ending in free throws it's true i there's got to be a rule fix there or i don't know something i'm kind of partial to kickers even though there are those heartbreaking like the kicker for the buffalo bills who missed when they lost in the AFC championship four years in a row in the early nineties and he missed like wide left. And it's like still in Buffalo, the worst thing that's ever happened. That guy's never going to live it down, but there's a lot of good kickers out there. You know, there mm-hmm. are. I mean, there's uh, good kickers on good teams that have, have botched wins. Who's the guy on the, is it the Vikings or is it Baltimore that I'm thinking of that could, it was a field goal that was about to put him into the Super Bowl. Justin Tucker? Baltimore. Yes, Justin Tucker is Baltimore. And he missed. And he missed bad. And it wasn't that far off. And it's just so devastating because everyone works so hard and then it comes down to one guy who, like Andy said, has been on the field for 15 seconds of a 60-minute game. <laughs> and he's his legs are shaking. Arms weak, knees spaghetti. And he's got to kick this field goal. And... uh I couldn't. I couldn't handle the pressure, so I don't really have a whole lot of room to talk. Yeah, I've never attempted to kick a field goal. I'm curious I, as to like how difficult that is. It's extremely hard. I was in punt, pass, and kick as a kid, and I could throw really far and I could punt, but kicking was impossible. My dad tried to work with me in the backyard. He's like, "Here, it's just." He's like, "It's the same thing. You just sweep your leg instead of kicking up like when you punt." And I could never get it. I could never figure it out. It's hard. Huh. All right. Well, enough of the bad sports memories. Uh, we got to talk about the good ones too. But before we do, I have a whiskey, and I've got uh, I've got some ice and a fancy glass. So this whiskey is Legato. It's a straight rye whiskey. Ooh, rye! Uh, it is distilled in Indiana. Ugh, bad Uh-oh. start. Bad start. Uh, <laughs> Um, and it's bottled by Limitless Distillery in American Canyon, California. I don't know where that is at all. Oh, here's an interesting fact. Woman owned. It's got I a like that insignia in the corner. So I haven't nice. seen that before. Um, whiskey does strike me as a male-dominated field. It is uh, 80 proof, so 40% alcohol by volume. What else can I talk uh, tell you about it? 
It says it's a balance of spicy, seductive American rye and lightly malted barley. Legato rye whiskey toes the line between naughty and nice with its bold, complex, and smooth finish. Curated by experienced palates to bring you incredible flavor, Legato is sure to leave you with a legendary impression. I'm All excited right. for this one. It's called RDM. That's the distillery the where they make it. It's, it's a very a futuristic font too for a whiskey. Yeah, and it's like one of the few labels I've seen where there's like a splash of whiskey on the label. Oh, that that's a splash of whiskey. It looks like a banana. That's what I thought. Oh my god, if this is banana whiskey, I'm going to be furious. He's going to throw that bottle through oh, the window. That yeah. would be devastating devastating like sour apple vanilla those things are bad enough but if there's a banana whiskey oh god uh all right i'm drinking it on the rocks give it a nice sniff test i love that glass i mention it every time but yeah we have two of these and it's kind of the only thing i drink anything halfway fancy out of it's got a good tone to it when the ice hits the the edge Mm -hmm. that's how you know it's well handcrafted by american craftsmen Mm-hmm. I can't say much about its smell other than it's like it feels familiar. Like a banana? Uh, <laughs> no, not like that. Uh, a little bit caramely, which I didn't, I don't think I expected as much for a rye. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, but I definitely smell that. Alright, I'm going to give it a taste. The famously spicy rye. Will this also be spicy? It is not particularly spicy. A little forward in the spice, but it settles down pretty fast. It's lingering a little bit in the throat. It's The taste does not pack much of a punch, but it is pretty even. I'm going to give it one more taste. Yeah, you look perplexed. Well, this is, this is the... The carefulness and the care that we take. Mm-hmm. It's there's something about it, and I, I even before I poured the whiskey, I made sure because I had the the ice cube sitting in the glass for a few minutes to get all the additional water out of the glass. But as I'm tasting it now, I hate to say it, it just like though it tastes fine, it tastes like a little bit watered down. And it shouldn't. That's sad. Yeah. Yeah, rise, rise especially should not. I know. So I'm kind of wondering, like, the color's a little light. I feel like the, the taste, while pretty smooth, pretty even, like, nothing offensive about it, it's, it's missing something. So I'm going to give it one third taste to decide for sure. Do you taste anything fruity? No. Nothing banana-y at all. Uh, it's actually, despite the like caramely smell, it doesn't really have that taste, which is good because I, I didn't really want it. Oh man, this is one. You don't of, seem pleased. I'm not pleased, but I also there's nothing offensive about this. It's just that it's not quite enough. It's not wowing you. No, it's not. So, though I don't want to give it the boot, I would feel its ticket on the smooth train would be unearned. So, mm-hmm. for that reason, 
you got to shit or get off the fence, which I believe is mixed metaphors. I'm giving it the boot. (laughs) (laughs) It gets the boot and the shit or get off the fence award. Yeah. Yeah. That has some Shark Tank vibes too. And for that reason. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's out. (laughs) Sorry, Legato. I don't mind drinking it. It's just like, I'm not going to recommend it. That's fair. Um, All right. We are talking best sports moments. I don't know what else to say about this. I had a hard five and that was it. I have six. I had, I put a lot by five are I'm very passionate. You'll hear that. I thought a lot about it. I watched clips of all of these today to get Mm. in the spirit and it brought back so many emotions. I'm ready to go. Okay. Uh, then without further ado, let's do it. These are our top five sports moments. More than four, less than six. It's the top five. Be pimp. My number five is reminiscent of a lot of uh, entries on this list because I'm for, first and foremost a White Sox fan. And in 2008, the AL Central came down to a tiebreaker between the White Sox and the Twins. It was September 30th, 2008 at U.S. Cellular Field. Jim Tomey hit a home run in the bottom of the seventh inning leading off. That was the only run scored in the entire game. They won one to nothing. It was the blackout game where the Sox geniusly told all the fans that showed up that day to wear black. So the whole stadium was full of people in black. It was loud. When Jim Tomey hit that home run, that place exploded. And it was amazing. If the White Sox are good, people show up, and that crowd is unbelievable. And that that was one of the games that just like really got me fired up as a White Sox fan. That is awesome. I I like don't recall that game at all. Um, but that's like a perfect setup for it. How many first base coaches got stabbed in that game? None. None. Wow. Pretty good for a White Sox game. <laughs> yeah, they took a day off. That. Uh description though gave me a feeling I'm, I'm not a Sox fan I'm not really a Cubs fan either I'm a baseball spectator but you put me at that game in the sea of black that's you gotta watch the clip it's so great yeah I, I had to go back I was reliving it I was like oh look because like I mean I'm sure there was people there that didn't wear it but I mean the vast majority of the crowd is just black it's just a sea that's, that's that is awesome I gotta go back and watch that too um, Ryan, what's your number five? Uh, so a couple of years ago, my buddy Austin wanted to go see a NBA playoff game uh, up in Milwaukee. And it was, you know, two days before the game. I said, yeah, let's do it. And we bought tickets. And this is when Giannis Antetokounmpo, I think this year before he got his MVP. Nice pronunciation, by the way. Oh, thanks. <laughs> uh, he, they had a, a, a series with Celtics. Um, when, when that was when like scary Terry was playing and stuff like that. And this is at the old stadium too. We drove up there and to see the Milwaukee Bucks and Giannis Antetokounmpo absolutely smear the Celtics in the playoffs was such a cool thing to me. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Giannis. I think he's probably one of the best NBA players of our generation in the current time, I think he's a really cool guy, too. I think he's got a good heart on him. He's got a good head on his shoulders. And that was just – I think – I love the Bulls. I'm a huge Bulls fan, but that was the best basketball game I've ever been to. Wow. 
I that would be awesome to see, honestly, in person. The Greek freak. It's almost, yeah, it's almost like watching a cartoon because what he does doesn't seem doable by your average human. No. Yeah, when when yeah. he Euro, when he Euro steps, it's, it's freakish. Just the way he clears the court, too. You know, he gets the rebound and he runs the whole floor faster than anyone else. And he's got the longer distance, too. It's, it's amazing. His height and his athletic ability, I think, in my personal opinion, is better than Kevin Durant's. I, I think I would have to agree with that. He, though Kevin Durant is like unquestionably a better shooter, Giannis is, takes better advantage. I think he is more athletic and like uses his length to his advantage even better than Durant does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, my number five is... Uh, this is the most recent one on my list, too. It's it's hard to say it was, like, my personal favorite moment because there were elements of it that kind of broke my heart, too. But it was such a pleasure to see. And that was uh, Loyola going to the Final Four in the uh, 2018 uh, March Madness. And it was just so unexpected. I only accidentally remember watching the game. It was the... The fin- I can't even remember what conference they're in. Uh, Horizon, maybe? Yeah. But I watched the final of the Horizon. I was like, oh, Loyola's winning this game. And then I realized, like, oh, Loyola will they'll go to the tournament if they win this. And then we just, we watched every game. I remember during, and this, like, one of my favorite, like, moment moments was the Elite Eight game against Kansas State, where they, like, wiped the floor with Kansas State, which was really unexpected. And uh, Maggie and I were driving, I think, a U-Haul from Seattle back down to the Bay Area. And we stopped in Portland for a couple hours just to watch the game. And she was looking for, like, Loyola bars, which, of course, is, like, not that easy of a thing to find outside of Chicago. But she did find one in Portland. Um, It was, like, there was, like, eight people there. But it was awesome. And we just, like, stopped and watched the game and then drove the rest of the way but that was that was like a serious cinderella story because there was no one on that team that you would watch and be like yeah this this is like a legitimate nba prospect that was super exciting to watch and i remember being in chicago at the time it gave it a whole different vibe i didn't really follow march madness too closely before that i didn't really have a team that I still don't have a team that's like my number one go-to, but that year I was all on board with Loyola. It was fun. I mean, like the heartbreaking aspect for me, of course, is like along with Brian, we went to DePaul, which is supposed to be the basketball school. It's just not. So it was hard to say like, oh, congratulations for making the final four. It's so earned. Not <laughs> You're <upward>. still salty. <laughs> But that no, it was great, and then and then we went to watch the final four game in San Francisco, um, and though Michigan won and kind of pulled away toward the end, it was they were like neck and neck most of the game. All right, B Pimp, what's your number four? Number four for me, um, it's known as the shot. So I mean that kind of tells you how important it is. But it was Michael Jordan's game winner over Craig Elo at the buzzer um, in Game Five of the Eastern Conference first round. It was May seventh, nineteen eighty nine. And the Bulls won 101-100 to 100 after that shot. Um, if you're even sort of an NBA fan, you've probably seen video of it. It's the one where he makes the shot and then goes crazy and is jumping all over the court. 
Um, it was a couple years before the Bulls broke through and made it to the finals, but it, in a way it kind of set up the dynasty because it was the first time that you had this like iconic game ending, Michael Jordan making the shot and just taking them into the next round of the playoffs. And it still sticks in my memory as one of the greatest moments ever. It's an incredible shot, of course. You know, last second shot. The reactions both from Jordan and from Elo are like iconic. But what really makes it is just the way it was filmed. Like it's a straight on shot and Jordan is drifting. But like by the time he lets it go is like perfectly in line with the court. And the shot is just from the other side of the court. Uh, whoever was filming it there. And it's like perfect. And it was the way he hung in the, hung in the air too. Just mm-hmm. like it, like that. The ability, like anybody who's played basketball, the ability to hang in the air and still make an accurate shot is not easy. And do it from like just outside the free throw line while some, like at that kind of pressure, it's just unbelievable. Especially while you're like drifting sideways as you're shooting it. Like that's almost impossible. I like the the clip uh, in the last dance of Ron Harper, who was playing on the Cavs at the time, saying that really he should have been guarding Jordan, not Elo. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Brian, you would have been a great guest on The Last Dance. Because they covered that whole shot in the early episodes. I think, I think one of the... You described it most unbiased and, and probably the best out of everyone I've seen on that show. One of, the, one of the only things I've seen so far from that is Ron Harper mentioning, like, he said something like, he's like, it was bullshit, I should have been covering him or something. And I think every, like, his whole identity as a player... Ron Harper until he hurt his knees was that he was like a lockdown defender at shooting guard. So I have no idea what Lenny will. I think Lenny Wilkins was the coach of the Cavs at that point, unless I'm mistaken, but I have no idea what he would have been thinking unless uh, Craig Elo was like his best friend or something. I don't mm-hmm. get it either. Sometimes there's very questionable decisions on who should guard Mar- Michael Jordan. Like obviously Elo guarding Jordan. That was a mistake. Uh, I think of when the Sonics were in the finals too against the Bulls, and for whatever reason, we had Hersey Hawkins, our sharpshooting shooting guard, guard Jordan for the first three games of the series instead of Defensive Player of the Year Gary Payton. Why would I mean that would have been when B.J. Armstrong was starting at point guard, right? So like, why? No, or no, it was, Harper. It was, it was Harper. Yeah, yeah. So I, yeah, I don't know. Um, but that is an excellent pick, uh, Ryan. What's your number? Or what are we on four? Four, yeah. I'm going to have to go with the seven-game series um, with the Bulls and Celtics in 2009. I believe that was Der- – was that Derrick Rose's rookie season? I don't quite remember, but it was seven – I'm pretty sure. It was seven-game series with the Celtics, and it broke a record for the most overtimes in a series. Seven, seven overtimes total. One of the games had three overtimes. But it was just so much fun to watch every single game. That's when I, like, really became a Bulls fan. Um, due to the influence of my friends that I was hanging out with at the time. And to see them be able to compete with the Celtics like that and all the different places that I watched. I remember watching games at Union Station, waiting for a train, watching them in my college dorm room, watching it at a friend's house. Um, and that's when Derek Rose was starting to prove who he really was and what he was capable of. Uh, I'll never forget that. That's when Joe Kim Noah, I, I never really liked Joe Kim Noah until he 
stole the ball from Paul Pierce and dunked it with, with like the final minutes of the fourth to take the lead and win the game. It was just a super cool series. I missed that kind of basketball for the Bulls. Gordon at least. was on that team too, right? I believe so. I know Luel Dang, and you had Derrick Rose, Taj Gibson, uh, Joe Kim Noah. I don't know if Ben Gordon was on that team. Yeah, if he was, he, was. he didn't make. Yeah, he he didn't make as much of an impact as he did prior to that year. Yeah, I I remember. I think it was the triple overtime game. I was in a night class. And I was, like, not paying any attention. I just kept seeing that the Bulls game was, like, going to another overtime. It's like, gee, I think I'm going to get out of here before the game ends. Maybe I can, like, go watch it somewhere. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, that was incredible. No, excellent number four. All right, my number four is, even though I'm not the biggest football fan, still had to put it in my top five anyway, and it's the Seahawks wiping the floor with Peyton Manning and the Denver Broncos in the 2014 Super Bowl. Uh, let me remind you of the score. 43-8. to eight. And awesome I can believe the game started with the safety. It was like, there was never a doubt in my mind. It was like, oh, okay, we're, we're good. That's the Legion of Boom, like their best work, right? That defense uh, was stout. Yeah, it really was. And there was like a bunch of years before that and before Russell Wilson where we had Matt Hasselbeck as our quarterback where we were uh, like generally a playoff team, but like you knew we were like not that good. And we lost in the Super Bowl to the Steelers one year and then had some other exits in the playoffs. But yeah, 2014, it was like, okay, this is different. Um, The Seahawks fan base had always gotten like better over time. It was kind of weird because like growing up in Seattle – uh, nobody gave two fucks about the Seahawks. They weren't even the most popular football team, like the University of Washington was. So that was different. And yeah, Russell Wilson's awesome. And that just like, sometimes I find like routes to be boring, but that one was not for me. That was just like, I'm sure anybody else watching that Super Bowl hated it. And it was boring, but it was like, just kicking Peyton Manning's ass is also like, feels extra good. I'm sure John Shatner of Papa John's was like sitting on the sidelines crying throughout that entire game. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Now we are on number three. Uh, B pimp. Oh yeah. Okay. So this is my, um, not my last white Sox entry, but my entry from their uh, world series year in 2005, it was game three of the AL division series. It was, in Boston against the Red Sox. So first series of that playoff run where as a White Sox fan, I'm always kind of on the edge of my seat. We don't have the greatest history of success. So it's always like, is this real? Is this going to fall apart? Um, They were winning four to three in the bottom of the seventh inning and Damaso Marte loaded the bases. They brought in El Duque, Orlando Hernandez, who had been a starter all year. And they brought him in, Ozzie Gain brought him in to try to get out of the jam he got two guys to pop up and then he struck out Johnny Damon to end the inning. He walked off the mound, just pumping his fist excited. And that was the moment I knew that year. I was like, we're in it. Cause getting out of a bases loaded jam without giving up a single run is not pot is not common. And especially in the playoffs on the road and they won that game. And it was just like, they were off to the races. It was unbelievable. No, that was awesome. And it reminds me that El Duque is a great nickname. I didn't even think about it for that for a couple episodes ago. Yeah, I forgot about that one. All right, Ryan, what's your number three? 
For my number three, I have the Cubs winning the World Series in 2016. Double depth. This was basically, let me give you a little backstory here. I was born and raised a Cubs fan. I used to go to so many games. Uh, I would go to 10, 15 games a year and finally got to a point where I'm like, wow, this team really sucks. And this is just a total bummer to be a fan of this team. So I'm denouncing my faith in the Chicago Cubs. I'm giving away all my T-shirts, all my hats, no longer going to games. I'm done. And it was two years after that that they won the World Series. <laughs> and boy, did I eat my words. Um, the amount of texts that I got, the calls that I got when they won the World Series. I was in Los Angeles at the time, and I'm like, wow, I kind of wish I was back home right now. Uh, I made a bet with a friend that if they won the World Series within the next few years, I would have to move to Colorado. And I still haven't fulfilled that bet. But um, as much as I despise that team or used to despise that team, I got to hand it to them. That was something special, what they put together that year. Um, and even as a former fan and a bystander, a spectator, uh, it's pretty spectacular to watch what they accomplished that year. And not only for the team, but for the city and for all the fans. Yeah, I, I mean, I mentioned it's my number three, too, as – not a Cubs fan and never really a Cubs fan. Not not like I dislike them or anything. But being in Chicago when they won was one of the most surreal sports moments I've ever been a part of. Like just like leaving the bar, all the cars honking, high-fiving like strangers on the street. And it the game ended in such a perfect way too because it was just like it's going to extra innings and then rain delay. Like God does not want there to be a winner of this world series. And finally when it ended, it was just, yeah, it was incredible. It was like, I felt like a bystander and just like a very important sports moment. I went to bed during that rain delay. (laughs) (laughs) That's how much Brian cared. Yeah, I'm a I'm I'm not a Cubs hater. I just like I remember Lisa was making fun of me because we were watching it together. She's like, "How could you go to bed now?" I'm like, "I I'm just tired and like I know I want to watch it, but I can't." And I and I I regret it, but I missed out on the yeah. It was one moment too because the rain delay started. It was already pretty late, and we were at the bar. And it was a week night, right? Maybe yeah, it was. No, it was like a Tuesday or Thursday. Yeah, and. Maggie did say, I think if this like rain delay, I can't remember exactly. I'm paraphrasing, but if this rain delay is like another five minutes, we're going home. And it was like, no, we're not. <laughs> like that was one of the times like, no, this is ridiculous. Of course we're not. How, how does the LA folks take it? Well, the weird thing I was, I was in this open mic with my friend AP and I just decided, like, I might as well check and see what's happening. And I'm on my phone checking the score and seeing the rain delay. I'm like, there's no way. There's no way they closed this out. And there's a few more acts that went up. And I checked again. I'm like, this can't actually be happening right now. And it was so surreal at the time because, like, I wasn't watching the game. I wasn't in it. I was just following along via the ESPN app or something. And they closed it out. And immediately after that, my phone blew up of people just trying to shove my words down my throat. (laughs) And I deserved it, and I took it, and that's fine. And I still take shit for it 
to this day. The the video of uh, the bar we were at was not that close to Wrigleyville. It was, well, it was probably like two miles away. But the video of just the crowds outside of of Wrigley, um, like you hear the cheering. Then I think there's a hush when the grounder was happening. And then like the cheer rises. And then just a couple seconds later, the the billboard outside of Wrigley says like Cubs win or whatever it says. And just the eruption of noise is like an all-timer. Yeah, I kind of wish I was there for that part. All right, uh, Brian, what's your number two? My number two, we were together for this. Um, February 4th, 2007, Super Bowl 41. Opening uh, kickoff from the Colts. The Bears um, were in the Super Bowl. Devin Hester returned it for a touchdown, 92 yards. Uh, we watched it at our place on Bissell. The Bears lost that game, unfortunately. But that was so great because he was a rookie that year, and like he had six touchdown returns already. He had three punts, two kick returns, and a missed field goal. And the Colts had two weeks to prepare for that, and he still returned the opening kickoff for a touchdown. It was just so amazing. Devin Hester is one of the most exciting football players of all time. I think so. Absolutely. Yeah. I remember where I was for that play, too. It. And the amount, like, if you watch the clip, you see the amount of cameras going off in the stadium, and they had no idea what was about to happen. And watching that unfold, too, I'm like, there's no way. There's no way. Oh, my gosh, there's no way. There's no way he does it. And I immediately, as soon as he, he scored, I'm like, Bears are going to win this game for sure, which obviously didn't end well. But Rex Grossman what an ex- other yeah. thoughts. exactly what an exciting time to be a bears fan though that year was awesome when i watched it today the things that stuck out to me were like he looked when they show him dancing around ready for that kickoff he looks like he's like i don't care who what they do i'm gonna score phil sims right before he does it says colts made a wise choice by kicking off because they get the ball at the beginning of the second half and then bam touchdown (laughs) the whole Colts sideline looked depressed i don't know how the bears lost that game they were just like absolutely depressed about it and they played a metallica song right after he scored and i was like this is amazing i was like i had to be so amped when we were watching that yeah i remember it was like a really tiny tv we had in that living room too a box tv that's how long ago it was yeah it was so Uh, much fun though yeah that i don't remember what the final score that game was but it was not good Mm -mm. it was like 29 to 17 the colts won something like that my number two has to be my first time at Arrowhead Stadium, and that was 2018, two years ago now. Um, it was another impulse decision with my friends Austin and Rishi. And I think it was a Wednesday night. We decided, let's just drive down to Kansas City and go watch them play. And that was against the Pittsburgh Steelers, I think, divisional round. Uh, shout out to my friend Austin, too. He hooked us up with – we had bought tickets for um, th- the third level, I think, and he upgraded us to these absolute insane seats just outside of the end zone. And uh, uh, my uncle still lives down there. We tailgated with him and my cousins and walking into the stadium, I'll never forget just the overwhelming emotion, looking around at how beautiful that place was and what it was, what it felt like to be there in that moment. And the game, man, the crowd, I couldn't hear. It was so freaking loud at all times. An absolutely unforgettable experience. Unfortunately, they did not win that game on some 
bullshit penalty, but that was when <laughs> Alex Smith was the quarterback still. So, but I'll never forget that time. It was, it was an amazing road trip impulse decision. I, I wish I could relive it. Oh, that is awesome. That's uh, the last trip I made before this whole COVID stuff was to Kansas city. I was there at the end of February and it's a, uh, I like Kansas City. It's not bad. For yeah. Midwest City, it's not bad. Great barbecue. It is. And I like their transit agency, which is who I was there to see. But uh, they're doing good things there. That's awesome. And the Chiefs have a great logo, um, which is on Ryan's hat. For those yeah. listeners that can't see it, it's the Arrowhead logo. It's great. Mm-hmm. It is a good logo. That's a classic. I love it. All right, my number two is... The Seattle Supersonics going to the 1996 NBA Finals. There's a lot of moments from this I could go with. One of the moments that sticks the most in my head, though, and unfortunately the Sonics lost to the Bulls, and I mentioned earlier that one of the biggest mistakes the Sonics made was guarding Michael Jordan with Hersey Hawkins. And frankly, a lot of people forget Michael Jordan didn't have that great of a series. Sean Kemp had like an incredible series, if you look at his stat line there. But uh, Michael Jordan, I mean, he was good, but it wasn't like a Michael Jordan-ish type series for him. Uh, But the Sonics lost in six. But one of my favorite moments, the Sonics won game four and game five. And one of my favorite moments was Sean Kemp reverse dunking uh, on top of Dennis Rodman. And then Rodman, for whatever reason, doesn't move. So like Kemp is sitting on him for several seconds. And it was just like, finally a moment like that the rain man mm-hmm. but i mean those yeah. damn sonics they they were the ones who in the <sighs> finals watching those finals like the jazz man eh, carmelone's good whatever earlier years that eh, whatever but that series i was like oh this is gonna be ugly because i had respect for the sonics they were i mean it was tough because the the bulls they were 72 and 10 that year they had the best record of all time but the Sonics were a very respectable 64 and 18. Like people forget. I think I'm almost certain out of all the teams the Bulls faced in the finals out of those six years, I think the Sonics had the best record out of all of them. I would believe it. And yeah, anybody else besides what was the best like Bulls team of all time, I think the Sonics would have done well in the finals. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, it was not to be. Uh, I miss the Sonics. I really do. Me That's too. under are super lame. And we, and we talked about this on my first episode with you guys. But why? Why? Why are they not the Sonics? Why are they the Oklahoma City Thunder? There's a song on our upcoming EP that might touch on this topic. Yeah. Ooh, all last, right. It's the last song that I'm writing lyrics for, and I am, like, struggling immensely because I just want it to be, like, perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it's going to hit. It's going to be a jam when it's out. I'm excited. All right, we're down to the number ones. Starting with you, Ryan, what is your number one sports moment? Okay, bear with me because I have a lot on this one. Um, it's, it's, it's something that, you know how there's certain things where you just kind of are in the right space for the moment and it's like, it just seems like otherworldly. That was this. So it's 2009, July 23rd, U.S. Cellular Field. Mark Burley's throwing a perfect game against the Tampa Bay Rays. I was out playing golf and came home in the seventh inning. It was a day game and sat there, realized he had a perfect game going, 
sat there for the rest of the game and watched every out and it was just like the most tense experience so in the ninth inning Ozzie Guillen substituted Dwayne Wise to play center field um, he was a defensive specialist and they moved Scott Pacenic to left the next batter up against Burley was Gabe Kapler who always hit left-handed pitchers really well and he um, the first pitch he hits a foul ball right down the left field line really hard the, so- the Sox color man Steve Stone who's always known for like predicting things says right after that happens usually when a guy's around that fast on a fastball a changeup's coming next so then the next pitch Burley throws a changeup it's right down the middle and Kapler crushed it to center field it's on it looks like you could see on the camera angle it's on path to go right over the fence Dwayne Wise ran back perfectly timed it jumped at the last minute um, the crowd who has been like electric because they realize a perfect game might happen in the ninth inning, they go silent when Kapler hit the ball, but he jumps, he catches it with his right hand. Cause he's lefty uses his glove, brings it back. He bobbles it and secures it with his bare hand and falls down and catches it. And everybody realizes at the same time that he caught it and it goes absolutely insane in that place. And right after that happened, and they, and Burley looks shocked because he, he thought it was a home run. He thought it was all gone. Hawk says, under the circumstances, that's one of the greatest catches I've ever seen in 50 years covering baseball. And the, the capper on that, because we're on the whiskey sessions, to celebrate it, Mark Burley bought Dwayne Wise a bottle of Crown Royal XR, which is a super rare whiskey, and he had the bag embroidered with his name and the date of that game. Wow. That is awesome. I have to go back and watch that highlight, but I will see, I will say like all credit to Ozzie Guillen for doing a defensive substitution for the pure goal of preserving a perfect game. Yeah. Like I'm guessing the win was not in the balance or maybe it was. It was. Yeah. It was like a one nothing game. It was like, Oh really? Okay. But great, great call. It's one of the best, like in hindsight, one of the best smartest moves. I think I you told it perfectly watching. too. I I have to watch the highlight again, and I gotta say I loved watching Mark Burley pitch. Like I knew that. Well, first of all, the game was going to be over in about two hours, but also just like yeah, the the way he paced, it was like I just like I feel like this is how baseball is supposed to be. You don't need to like read signs for ten minutes. You don't need to have the batter adjust his glove a thousand times. Uh, just, just go. He, I saw in person Mark Burley the year before that. He pitched against Mark Mulder from the A's, who also pitched fast. My dad and I went to a game. It was over in under an hour and a half. I'm not exaggerating. It was like an hour and 20-minute baseball game because both of them, as soon as the ball got back from the catcher, they would throw it again. That's awesome. I mean, that's almost too short because, like, you got you know, you to get some popcorn. You got to get some peanuts. You got to get a hot dog. No chance. You can do all that in that amount of time. You're in and out. Yeah. That makes me miss baseball too. Holy crap. I really miss baseball. I would love to freaking go to a baseball game right now. (laughs) That would be so amazing. Yeah. We're not that far from the Ace Stadium. It's just like, uh, it's like a shitty stadium too, but it's like perfectly shitty. It's just old and concrete. It has a lot of foul territory. Yeah. I mean, and I think it's the last stadium. Well, okay, now it's not even this anymore. But I think it was the last stadium that was like both a baseball and a football stadium. 
But yeah, I liked. I always liked that when the, you would see a football game where they'd have like the infield dirt. Mm-hmm. You could see it on the field. I miss that. Uh, all right, Ryan, what is your number one? Well, if you know me, you probably already know my number one, and that's the Chiefs winning the 2020 Super Bowl. But in full scope, it's the whole 2020 playoffs in the absolute roller coaster that I went through. Um, <laughs> going back to like the Houston game when they were down 24 to zero, and I was hanging my head low, like I can't believe they dug themselves this hole. And they ended up winning that game. I didn't know. We're down 24 to 0. 24 to 0. Holy crap. So, yeah, it was the worst first quarter they have ever played. They didn't score any points. Houston scored 21 points in the first quarter and then three points at the beginning of the second quarter. And then the Chiefs just snapped out of it and scored 28 points in the second quarter. Ended up winning the game 56 to 20 something and smoked the Houston. Yeah, but. The whole first half of the game, I just was – I can't even describe the emotion. And then you go to the next week when you have the Titans. And, again, they were down 17-0, to I believe, at one point. And uh, it's tough, you know, looking to the future. I don't know what's about to happen. And then they end up winning that game. And, obviously, they go on to the Super Bowl. And for those of you who watched it, it was a lot of back and forth, up and down. But they pulled it off. And it was just a wild – wild year for that team especially with Patrick Mahomes being on the cover of Madden for those of you who aren't aware of the Madden curse I was absolutely terrified he went down halfway through the year hurt his knee right and I'm like this is it that's that's the season gone and Patrick Mahomes will never come back um some like Derrick Rose memories there but he came Mm -hmm. back and won the Super Bowl and holy crap it felt great I'll never forget that day celebrating my friends popping bottles I'm ready for next year to start I remember we were texting during that game because you were like bummed, and I was like, "Mahomes is the X factor. Like, you never can count that team out because he can just score so many points." And then we were at Brower House for the Titans game. I think mm-hmm. we were, and I, I never counted them out. I was just always we were at the Brower House for the Titans game during the season. Oh, that was the season one. Okay. Yeah, that was regular season. They lost that game, and that's why I was so scared of them in the playoffs because I was in Las Vegas for work. And I had to watch it through uh, some other trade show or some other vendor at the trade show I was at had the game on. And I had to like peek through everything to try and watch it. And it was just one of those years where there's a lot of, I honestly didn't think they could pull it off. And that's a terrible fandom in me, but they pulled it off, man. And you're right. He is the X factor. And I never counted him out. I was just very terrified. Yeah, no, I get it. I believe me. I like their road to the playoffs, though. Like, Houston, Texas, and Tennessee Titans. Talk about, like, two unremarkable, like, stupid teams. I know, and the fact that they were leading in both those games and by a lot. It wasn't just like, oh, they're up by a field goal. No, they're up by 24 freaking points. How are the Chiefs going to pull this off? And Pat Mahomes did Pat Mahomes things. I love the AFC South, Andy, so I have to take umbrage with your (laughs) – I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't mean to diss Tennessee and Houston, Texas. They're, they're great. I despise that conference. No, I despise that conference. <laughs> like, if Oklahoma City got a football team, it would be in that conference. And that would be the perfect suck conference. And, and their name would be the Tornadoes, and everybody would hate it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, all right. My number one is the Seattle Mariners beating the New York Yankees in the first round of the 1995 playoffs. So the reason this is number one for me is it's 
the first time the Seattle Mariners were ever in the playoffs, uh, which is pretty incredible considering the team started in 1977. So they did not make the playoffs for 18 straight years. They actually didn't even have a winning season until their 16th season, which is ridiculous. But 1995, I was the perfect year for like sports fandom. The Sonics were good and the Mariners were suddenly good. I was at the game in the Kingdome, which is just this old like concrete dome of a stadium. It's been since imploded, which was also a really cool event to see. Uh, but it was a great like old stadium. And like I mentioned uh, about my favorite stadiums that doubled as football stadiums and baseball stadiums. But the highlight of that game, and it was the last play of the game, was Griffey was on first. Edgar Martinez hit a double. Griffey, who, of course, he was like a superstar, but I've never seen him run faster ever to get from first to home plate on uh, Edgar Martinez's double. And just the image of him just hauling ass, and he was fast, um, around third and go toward home, slide in, then the entire team tackle him. And Griffey had a smile on his face that I've like never seen. Um, Cause he just, I, I feel like as a player grew up with like a lot of pressure with his dad playing. And I think generally actually did not seem like a happy player, but in that moment was just like the look on his face and the whole stadium. And the fact that the Mariners came back from uh, down two zero in that series to win it in five against the fucking Yankees was just incredible. And so that is like my favorite sports moment. I remember that image too of Griffey. And I forgot to mention to my chagrin that he had a the, one of the biggest plays in that blackout game. He threw out a guy at home plate from center field. He was on the White Sox that year. That's awesome. Yeah. You guys Good. make me like, miss baseball guy. so much. Yeah. I, yeah. Damn it. I'm like, basketball is my favorite sport, but it's, there's something about baseball moments that like, really like stick in your mind i don't know what it is i think just based on what we've discussed in this podcast it's more of a storytelling sport where things Mm -hmm. take time to unfold the way they do whereas basketball it's a lot higher pace and things happen fast this is more of a total setup yeah it's like the anticipation is allowed to build in a certain way that it doesn't with other sports and there's like there's cues of things that you usually see, and then when like something slightly changed, like Griffey had been he was like a year or two away from retiring at that point, and had been known to have slipped a little bit defensively and stuff. But then he made a perfect throw from center field to get this guy out, and it was and you you could think in your mind, it's like yeah, this is a playoff game. It's a one game. You win and you lose and you go home. He just was amped. Like that, you can like read things into certain things like that in baseball. It's mm-hmm. really cool. Um, all right. Th- so those are my top five. Do you guys have any honorable mentions? Oh, I did have one honorable mention. One of my favorite sports memories is when the Bulls fired Jim Boylan. So I'm still waiting on that to happen. <laughs> but when it does, I am going to celebrate. Oh, God. That guy's a w- the worst. I did write Such the day that dumb. Seattle gets an NBA team back. <laughs> going into the top five i'm just waiting just waiting yep just waiting on that memory it's but already happened it's already happened in nba 2k19 on the switch heck yeah and i'm also the point guard of the team so things are going well but just real life just waiting for that to happen 
I had one, uh, another White Sox one, un- unsurprisingly, but it was the 2005 World Series and Canerico hit a, home, a grand slam against the Astros. It was like the final time where I thought they might be able to blow it and he hit a grand slam. I was like, okay, they got it. And it was just unbelievable. I should have put the 2000 playoffs when the Mariners swept the White Sox. That was almost my, that was almost my heartbreaking moment before I remembered you know about Derek Rose bum me about that game is we had tickets to game four and it didn't even happen because the Mariners swept the White Sox. Yeah, I know. You were too good. Couldn't you guys have at least won a game so I could have gone to one? I've asked myself that so many times over the years. Yeah, it's devastating. Um, All right. If you have other sports moments uh, that are near and dear to your heart, let us know about it. You can hit us up on our Twitter that's Whiskey Sessions, um, at Whiskey Sessions, or email us at whiskeysessionsmusic at gmail.com, and we'll read your email on a future episode. I don't think we have any emails for this episode, so I'm going to say it again. Hit us up at whiskeysessionsmusic at gmail.com so we can read your emails on a future episode, and we definitely will. Um, So yeah, let us know what you think about the show, what your favorite whiskeys are, your sports moments, whatever it is. Let us know. Hit us up there. Um, But that about does it for this episode. So be pimp. Do you have any words of wisdom to leave our listeners with? It was so chock full of sports content that we didn't have room for emails, but I loved having Ryan back. He'll be back soon. So great episode. Yeah. Yeah, It's been awesome, Ryan. It's been Uh, awesome, man. Thanks for having me. J-Rock. J-Rock, baby. Uh, Okay, until next time, this is A-Mets saying peace out. B-Pimp, see you later. J-Rock, love you guys.